Hi, I'm Pastor Adam, and you're listening to the Orange United Methodist Sermon Podcast. We're a church in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, that wants to help you find your place in God's story. And we hope this sermon can guide you along that journey. Visit orangemethodist.org to find out more information about location, service times, upcoming events, and ways to give. We hope you enjoy. us from 1 Kings chapter 21. If you want to follow along in your pew Bible, the page is 313. Hear now God's word. Later, the following events took place. Naboth, the Jezreelite, had a vineyard in Jezreel beside the palace of King Ahab of Samaria. And Ahab said to Naboth, Give me your vineyard so that I may have it for a vegetable garden because it is near my house. I will give you a better vineyard for it. Or if it seems good to you, I will give you its value in money. But Naboth said to Ahab, the Lord forbid that I should give you my ancestral inheritance. Ahab went home resentful and sullen because of what Naboth the Jezreelite had said to him. For he had said, I will not give you my ancestral inheritance. He lay down on his bed, turned away his face and would not eat. His wife Jezebel came to him and said, Why are you so depressed that you will not eat? He said to her, Because I spoke to Naboth the Jezreelite and said to him, Give me your vineyard for money, or else, if you prefer, I will give you another vineyard for it. But he answered, I will not give you my vineyard. His wife Jezebel said to him, Do you now govern Israel? Get up, eat some food, and be cheerful. I will give you the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. So she wrote letters in Ahab's name and sealed them with a seal. She sent the letters to the elders and the nobles who lived with Naboth in in the city. She wrote in the letters, proclaim a fast and seat Naboth at the head of the assembly. Seat two scoundrels opposite him and have them bring a charge against him saying, you have cursed God and the king, then take him out and stone him to death. The men of his city, the elders and the nobles who lived in the city did as Jezebel had sent word to them. Just as it was written in the letters that she had sent to them, they proclaimed a fast and seated Naboth at the head of the assembly. The two scoundrels came in, sat opposite him, and the scoundrels brought a charge against Naboth in the presence of the people, saying, Naboth cursed God and the king. So they took him outside the city and stoned him to death. Then they sent to Jezebel, saying, Naboth has been stoned. He is dead. As soon as Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned and was dead, Jezebel said to Ahab, Go, take possession of the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite, which she refused to give you for money. For Naboth is not alive, but dead. As soon as Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, Ahab set out to go down to the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite to take possession of it. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Go down to meet King Ahab of Israel, who rules in Samaria. He is now in the vineyard of Naboth, where he has gone to take possession. You shall say to him, Thus says the Lord, Have you killed and also taken possession? You shall say to him, Thus says the Lord, In the place where dogs licked up the blood of Naboth, dogs will also lick up your blood. Ahab said to Elijah, Have you found me, O my enemy? He answered, I have found you, because you have sold yourself to do what is evil in the sight of the Lord. I will bring disaster on you. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God indeed. Good morning. I am Pastor Corey, one of the associate ministers here. And as Pastor Adam said to me this morning when I arrived, nothing says Happy Mother's Day like Naboth's Vineyard. So welcome. We are indeed glad you are here. And today is Mother's Day, and as a mother in my own experience, I recognize the deep joy this day brings. And as a mother, a daughter, a sister, and a pastor, 
I also recognize the deep pain this day can bring. In days, issues, people, and values, in my lived experience, are always complicated. And in my practice as a pastor, the most loving thing I can do is offer space for all that nuance and to hold space for all of those complicated feelings and honor them. To honor them and to trust that the Spirit will fill in the words that we cannot. So this morning, we'll take a moment to offer a prayer of celebration for Mother's Day and also a prayer of lament before we transition into our message. And this prayer is by the Reverend Sarah Agnew. Let us pray. As a community, we take time to pause and give thanks for the gift of mothers. Shining a light on the gift, shadows fall, and we acknowledge the shadows too. We celebrate and give thanks, each of us, for our mother, the woman who carried us in her womb, gave birth to us, brought us into life. We lament, each of us, separation from our mother at different times, through conflict, through distance, through death. We lament, seek to forgive, and be forgiven. We celebrate and give thanks, each of us, for those who have been as mothers to us, our aunts and pseudo-aunts, big sisters, friends, mentors, and teachers, the women who have nurtured, taught, encouraged, and shaped us with love. We lament, each of us, the women who have caused us pain, who have abandoned or neglected us, mistakenly or intentionally caused us harm. And we lament the hurt we have caused to women, our friends, colleagues, neighbors, sisters, aunts, and mothers. We lament, seek to forgive, and be forgiven. We celebrate and give thanks together for the women in our communities, for the many strengths of women, their gifts of leadership, peacemaking, nurture, education, entrepreneurship, healing, wisdom, creativity, endurance, collaboration, and so much more. We are grateful. We lament together that women are still discounted because they are women in our culture and in others, that the difference between women and men is seen as threatening, as a power struggle, as a competition or a hierarchy. Lord, this is not, we know, your dream for us. We lament, seek to forgive, and be forgiven. We celebrate those of us who are mothers and grandmothers, the joy and privilege it is to collaborate with you in the creation of life. We give thanks for our children, their uniqueness, the delight we find in watching and helping them grow. We lament those of us who are not mothers and long to be or who are mothers of children who have died. We lament and have no words for our grief. We celebrate, we give thanks for you, our mothering God, whose wings enfold us like those of a mother hen, who gives birth to all that lives, who loves fiercely, protectively, and with great delight. We celebrate what we know of you as like a mother, and we lament our turning from you and causing you pain, our rejection of your gifts of life and love in so many ways, and we seek your forgiveness again and again. Again and again, God welcomes us home as a mother welcomes her children. Again and again, God celebrates us, God's children, and delights in watching and helping us grow. Come now, under the wings of God. Come now, into the warmth of love. You are forgiven. You are loved. Precious child of your mothering God. Amen. Today... We continue our Spirit Speaks series, and we are focusing today on the theme of the Spirit Speaks Justice. 
And as was just read from the story from 1 Kings 21, it's a story about a man named Naboth, King Ahab, and Queen Jezebel. And the story you heard probably is not familiar to you. And even if it is, I hope that as you heard this story, you were unsettled or even shocked. I know some of us may have felt truly enraged. I anticipate that as you heard this story unfold, you may have been feeling anger. Uh, I bet your stomach turned as the actions of these characters was laid out. This story should make us squirm because it represents a truly dark side of humanity. And yet, it is a story far too commonly told, a story far too commonly lived out even today. A story of the powerful using their power to get what they want, even if it costs the less powerful absolutely everything. The injustice in this story is a result of an overwhelming self-centeredness that truly blinds those in power. No one else's thriving is brought into question except those of the ones who believe themselves to be in charge, Queen Jezebel and King Ahab. The repercussions of those decisions are never considered, and no amount of suffering is too high a price to be paid for them to get what they want. In this case, a vegetable garden. You heard me correctly, a vegetable garden. A man's life, his family's inheritance, eliminated for salad ingredients. But to this king and queen, those salad ingredients represent their power, their dominion, their control, their rightness. Didn't know you were coming to hear a message about tomatoes and cucumbers, did you? Now, to give some context, King Ahab, by Israel's record, is a pretty terrible king already. And for a lot of reasons, a big reason being that he married Queen Jezebel, who happens to be a huge fan of Baal. Baal is a god who is not the god of Israel, Yahweh. And because she's a huge fan of Baal, Elijah, the prophet of Israel at the time, is not a huge fan of her. And when we get to this story, they've developed some history already. Just a few chapters before the story we read today, Elijah challenges Jezebel's prophets, the prophets of Baal, at Mount Carmel to see which prophet could burn a bull sacrifice on the altar. And despite all of Baal's prophets, there's like 500 of them, they're trying, they're trying, no one can do it. And Elijah, by himself, calls on the power of Yahweh, and he's able to burn the bull sacrifice. And after he proves God's power, he instructs the people to slaughter all of Baal's prophets, and they do. And so Queen Jezebel, in response, she tells Elijah that essentially, essentially he needs to get out of town because if he stays, she will make him like he made her prophets, dead. And so Elijah does. He flees into the wilderness, and the scripture tells us he cries a lot because he thinks he is the last worshiper of Yahweh. Now we turn to the story of Naboth and King Ahab, where Jezebel and Elijah will once again make appearances. The story, as you heard, begins with King Ahab deciding he needs a vegetable garden, and he determines that the land of Naboth is a perfect spot. So he goes to Naboth, and he offers him either another vineyard or a fair price for his land. 
Now, this doesn't seem terrible at first, but in Israel, land is so important. Not only to the people who tend it, but to their ancestral heritage and ultimately to their relationship with God. Naboth's conviction runs deep. This land was given to him by God through his tribal heritage. This is not some investment property that would be easily to, easy to surrender. This is his promised land, and it is precious. There's not a price to put on it. So he appeals to what he believes is a common reverence between he and King Ahab, a reverence for Yahweh, and he says, the Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my ancestors. So Ahab goes home defeated. He can't eat. He's crying in his bed. And his wife Jezebel comes home, lover of Baal. She comes home and she says, why are you so sad? And he says, because Naboth won't give me his land for my vegetable garden. And she says, you are the king of Israel the most powerful person in this kingdom. And if you want that land, you get that land. You're in charge, no one else. And so, as we read, they devise a plan to accuse Naboth of cursing God so that he might be stoned. Once Naboth is out of the picture, they can acquire the land. Now, some scholars tell us that if this approach had actually worked, they would have not only had to kill Naboth, they would have had to kill every male inheritor of that land. Or, if not, scared them into laying no claim upon it and turning it over willingly. That's the story of Naboth's vineyard. There are a lot of questions we can think about when we think about the theological significance of this passage. And there are a lot of things this passage could encourage us to say but as we consider our series and our theme of the Spirit speaking, we are looking to understand what drives our sense of justice, what moves us to perpetuate justice, or as we witness in this story, injustice. What drives our sense of justice? Now, understanding a biblical justice is important here, and it comes to us through the Psalms and through the prophets and through Jesus' teaching. We discover what justice looks like to God. Justice is making sure everyone is cared for, that everyone's needs are met, that everyone is recognized as inherently valuable because they are God's child. Sometimes I think we get confused and think that justice means everyone gets punished fairly. But to God, justice means that everyone is loved and affirmed in the same way by the same God. And implementing a system of justice that extends care to the least of these should be the king's highest priority. The king, the king chosen by Yahweh, to rule Israel, he is meant to make sure that those who cannot care for themselves, the disadvantaged, the oppressed, the widow, the fatherless, are all cared for and protected. That's the king's responsibility. That is a just king in a just kingdom. And that is not at all the type of kingdom 
that King Ahab is interested in upholding. He is not driven by God's justice. King Ahab and Queen Jezebel are blinded, absolutely blinded by their self-centeredness in, their, in growing their own power, their own wealth, their own comfort, no matter the expense. I'm sure we've all heard the saying, power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Now, the meaning of that saying is that the more power we possess or acquire, the more and more repressed our morality becomes, the more silenced our inner conviction becomes, the more deaf and blind we become to God's desires for ourselves and for all of humanity. Where, where do we hold power? And this is absolutely true for Ahab and Jezebel. There is no amount of arguing or threat or proof that Israel's God is the almighty and the giver of all things and the demander of justice. At this point, there is absolutely nothing that has been able to change Jezebel and Ahab's hearts. If we could argue our way into making King Ahab and Queen Jezebel rule differently, then they would have already been convinced. Elijah defeated all of Baal's prophets. He proved God's power. And Jezebel wasn't moved at all. In fact, her blindness only persisted and was reinforced as she threatened Elijah's very life. I think that's the part of the story that speaks loudest to me. If Elijah could have converted these two through argument and persuasion, they would have been long ago convinced and convicted of their misdeeds and their injustice. They surely should have repented after witnessing Elijah's victory. The defeat of Baal's prophets must have been something to witness. And yet they're unmoved. I'm not sure we're going to convince anyone of God's power by yelling louder or somehow proving our position. If that were possible, I'm sure Jesus could have convinced the rich young man to give away all he possessed. I mean, entering the kingdom was at stake, but a threat to his power, to his money, to his position, he couldn't be convinced by Jesus. And that's why we can't argue our way to forcing others to live justly. We cannot make the spiritually blind see, and we cannot make the spiritually deaf hear. There is no instruction or information that I could give you this morning that is going to fundamentally convince you of anything. Elijah couldn't do it, and I do not think that I am more capable than Elijah. Nothing I say will transform your heart. Because, because only the Spirit can speak justice into our hearts. Only the Spirit can speak justice into the hearts of others. Only the Spirit can remove the scales from our eyes and help us to see others in a way that convicts and convinces us to champion their thriving, to care for the poor, the oppressed, the judged, the excluded, the least of these. 
Only the Spirit of God can permeate our hearts and move us toward a different way of being, toward a true transformation. Only the Spirit can enable us to be okay with once being wrong, with losing our power. Only the Spirit can enable us to repent and offer ourselves as ones who are in desperate need of a heart change. And only the Spirit can breathe justice into our being and help us to live out that justice. Only the Spirit is capable of speaking justice into our lives. We aren't even Elijah. Even as he confronts Ahab about Naboth's death, he tells him, you've sold yourself to do evil in the eyes of the Lord. And Elijah tells Ahab of the punishment he will surely endure due to his injustice, his self-centeredness. And yet Elijah is not perfect either. He has his own understanding of justice, and it's not entirely right. He is assured of Ahab's impending doom. But God's justice is different. And a few verses later, the spirit, the voice of the Lord, actually has to tell Elijah that even Ahab is capable of humbling himself. Even Ahab is capable of surrendering himself, repenting, and being forgiven and redeemed. No one is beyond that. Now, King Ahab and Queen Jezebel's stories don't actually change all that much. They continue to rule out of a desire for power rather than out of a desire to extend God's justice in their kingdom. All of Elijah's work, he couldn't convince them. Prophets rarely get through to the people they are calling to repentance. I think that's another lesson we can take from this story. What is it that compels us to be changed by God? What compels us to live more justly, to care for others more deeply? This book is not a weapon to hurt others and exploit their misdeeds. This book is a voice desiring to transform our own hearts. It is the voice of the Spirit speaking to each of us. As I read this story, I was so struck by Jezebel and Ahab's resistance to the spirit, as so many of us can be. They just don't get it. They hold on to that power. And as I considered their inability to hear the spirit speaking, I also began to think about instances where people do hear the spirit speaking, speaking justice into their lives. And a song started playing in my head, as it often does, you may know it. Amazing grace, sing with me. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost. But now am found, was blind, but now I see. Beautiful. The story behind that song, John Newton, the author, he grew up a Christian. He rebelled in his adolescence and made some mistakes in his early adulthood. But eventually, he became a respected, responsible, successful slave trader. 
He captained many slave boats. He even invested in the slave trade from afar to make even more money. And all along, he identified himself as a Christian. He even felt a calling within the slave trade to make sure that the worst excesses were not felt. Now, it is not that he had never heard of abolition or that he didn't know some people thought slavery was wrong and not in line with scripture. He also knew a lot of people who said slavery was God-ordained. And he didn't feel that conviction that what he was doing was unjust. His success, his self-centeredness left him so blind. And when he left slave trading for a desk job in Liverpool, where he was still remotely working for the slave trade, he started attending a Bible study. He started attending more frequently, and he was influenced by the teachings of John and Charles Wesley, and also George Whitfield. And I imagined I imagine he was influenced by the conversations he had with those in his fellowship. And through those means of grace, study, community, worship, the Spirit slowly began to speak and to speak justice into his heart. He found himself disgusted with slavery. He quit his desk job, became ordained, and began serving a parish. He even assisted William Wilberforce in his campaign to end slavery in England. The very thing that provided his livelihood for many years, that gave him his reputation, that made him feel successful, that made him feel powerful, the humility it must have required to turn his back on the work of his life, to give up his power to denounce it, to admit that he was wrong all along. All because the Spirit spoke justice into his heart. He was blind, but now he could see. What made the Spirit long to speak to us today? And are we humble enough to receive it? Let us pray. Lord, I was a pile of ash, and you made me a light for the world. I was a stone, and you made me salt for the earth. I was as lifeless as clay, and you made me part of the body of Christ. I was sinful, and you made me holy. I was nothing, and you made me part of everything. Lord, in you I am transformed and transformed still again. When the discouraged cry for hope, make me hope. When the hungry cry for bread, make me bread. When the thirsty cry for water, make me water. When the suffering cry for help, make me help. When the sick cry for healing, make me healing. When the bound cry for freedom, make me freedom. When the outcasts cry for love, make me love. When the excluded cry for belonging, Make me belonging. When the community cries, there is no justice. Make me justice. Lord, who is hope, who is bread and water, who is help and healing, who is freedom and who is love, who is justice, transform me anew. And so keep me close to you as you transform the world. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. Please join us again next week. 
In the meantime, you can find us online at orangemethodist.org.